Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for human factors, psychology, and design. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our HFES Presidential Town Hall for September 2022. No matter if you're joining us live, watching, or listening to this recording later, thank you all so much for being here. HFES has invited me to host today. My name is Nick Rome, and I host a weekly Human Factors podcast. I'm also joined by the president of HFES, Chris Reed, and by the president-elect, Carolyn Summerick. We're also here from uh, Bill Horry uh, on publications and Rom Mikula on the, uh, the plan for technical standards. Also, special thank you to some of the HFES uh, staff who are helping out behind the scenes. We've got a great town hall for you today, uh, especially kind of focused around standards and publications. We'll be addressing some of your comments, questions, and concerns a little bit later. But first, just to level set with everybody on the format, so we're, we're everyone's up to date here. This town hall is open to everyone, members, non-members alike. No matter which category you fall in, we are super happy you are here. We're broadcasting this live across many platforms right now, across the Human Factors Cast channels, as well as the official HFES channels. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Twitch. Uh, if you can't stick around for the entire town hall today, this event will be available to watch on those platforms right after we're done. We'll also be distributing the audio version of this discussion on the Human Factors Cast podcast feed. And one last important note, as we're making our way through the conversation today, we ask that no matter where you're watching or listening, leave your questions, comments, concerns in the chat, uh, in the comments section, so that way we may address them during uh, towards the end during a Q&A section. We'll see everything on our end. Uh, so we'll flag them throughout the discussion. So feel free to ask them at any time. And uh, this is my own personal request. They give these guys some t tough questions. We we tend to we tend to give them some really easy ones towards the end there. All right. So I've gone on long enough. I'm going to clean up a little bit and we're going to pass it over to Carolyn to go through some of the announcements here. Carolyn, over to you. Thank you, Nick. Uh, and welcome, everyone, uh, to our town hall. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in, and uh, let's go ahead and get started. So, let me let's see here. There we go. So, uh, our agenda today, we're going to um, kind of catch you up on some things that have been going on, um, we'll talk a little bit about who we are, and then we are going to feature uh, the chairs of our publications committee, uh, sorry, division and standards division. Uh, and just to give you a little bit of um, context here, each one of these town halls, we've been featuring different components of the HFES organization. And so uh, now we are at the uh, publications and standards uh, division. So um, gives you an opportunity to find out more about these different areas and the committees uh, that are in those divisions and, of course, how you uh, might uh, get involved with them if what they do is, is of interest to you. Uh, or you're always welcome to make suggestions about what they should be getting into that you think would be important. So that's the point of the town hall. It's not it's it's a it's it's bidirectional communication. So just as a uh, reminder, HFES, we try to provide a range of uh, things that members find value in, including the Career Center. Uh, and do not forget that we will have companies 
uh, at the annual meeting uh, to uh, to interview with. So that uh, should be hopefully another draw uh, for folks to come to the annual meeting. Membership, uh, again, everything we do is to help provide uh, value to our members, both in being a member of the organization and also to help uh, in you uh, in your profession uh, in terms of you know informing the world about why uh, professionals like uh, uh, HFES uh, folks are are needed uh, and um, that that comes through our our government relations work uh, as well as our um, uh, uh, press release and uh, public relations work that we're doing and all of our uh, other outreach activities, which you heard about in a, in a prior town hall. Uh, there are opportunities, as I mentioned, for you to get involved in HFES. Um, we'll say, I just looked at our volunteer application uh, site and I don't see too many things that are listed on there, which is not accurate because we certainly need volunteers. So that's one of the things that we're going to be working on is getting those needs, which we really do have, uh, up on the volunteer site so people know uh, about them. So we had an election uh, and we have our results. We um, are going to be welcoming to the executive council Susan Gatowski as president-elect. Uh, Julie Gilpin McMinn is going to be the secretary treasurer-elect. And um, one returning and one brand new uh, at-large member of the executive council, Paul Green and Shannon Roberts, respectively. Uh, we do have a business meeting during the annual meeting, and everyone is welcome. Uh, to attend that business meeting. Um, so please look for that in your program and come and um, meet and talk with the uh, executive council members uh, at that meeting. So we are gonna have a big event uh, at the beginning of our annual meeting as we always do, except that this is moved from the Tuesday to the Monday evening. We are going to be having a, a combination of uh, our welcome reception and our uh, award ceremony on Monday evening. And we have uh, so many wonderful people to recognize uh, at that uh, event. These are the various awards that uh, people um, either self-nominated or nominated someone that they highly respected, uh, thought was appropriate for that award. And uh, so we have a, a number of awards and they're all in different sorts of areas from product design to uh, recognizing new young investigators to people who are doing outreach uh, and um, to uh, best paper awards. So all of those uh, you'll be able to uh, meet and talk with the awardees uh, on Monday evening and of course throughout the week as well. We have a lot of social events at the annual meeting and hope that you will take advantage of those. 
starting with the opening reception. We also have mentor-mentee luncheons, uh, which I'm not sure if those are all filled up yet, but um, look into those if, if you have an interest and you're not signed up. The uh, Council of Affinity Groups has networking and individual AGs have networking. There's a student reception. There's a reception for early career professionals and practitioners. We have a poster with fellows so that you can speak with HFES fellows and ask them a little bit about their career and, and get to know them a little bit more. We have all kinds of vendors coming, um, the exhibit hall. So please, please patronize uh, and come and meet the uh, exhibitors. Uh, they'll be there throughout the week. And of course, our TGs have business meetings and social meetings. That's where you, know, you can get involved with the TGs uh, in terms of uh, putting yourself uh, up for uh, nomination when uh, uh, they're holding elections. And there's lots of other activities throughout the week as well. So we really hope we'll be seeing you um, in Atlanta. And uh, so, of course, looking at our events throughout the year, our upcoming event, uh, with two of them actually, the annual meeting, and then that's followed immediately by ErgoX, same location. Uh, we also have some upcoming webinars, uh, and you can find all of those listed on the HVS events page. Uh, this one coming up is specifically addressing uh, sustainability uh, and um, hope that you will uh, tune in for that. And yes, as it says, webinars are added regularly to the list. So um, please check back. Don't don't not check this until November because we could sneak another one in there on you. So now I think I am. Am I turning this over to you, Chris, at this point? Yep. Yeah, I'll take Great. it from here. Okay. So Thanks for that intro, Carolyn. And I think I saw a question in the chat while we're at it about um, who won the William C. Howell Young Investigator Award. So that was uh, Kapil um, Chalil Maratil. So uh, Kapil, congratulations on that. All right, so looking at the slide that Carolyn has up, um, if you're new to HFES and you're not an existing member or you're coming back to HFES, I like to throw this slide up here because it really just tells the gist of what we are. So, you know, advancing the science of practice for people, designing systems for people, essentially. Many of us come from different backgrounds. We look at social science, biological science, looking at engineering, a lot of crossbreeds, looking across all of these uh, different opportunities coming in from different directions. And that just basically shows the diversity of what we represent as a, a society. Uh, and it, it's really critical to understand these different needs uh, as we solve everyday problems and, and design systems for people. If we can go to the next slide, please, Carolyn. Now, why that's important, I'd love to pull this up because this is essentially the, the circle of life, is, as I like to call it. So the ecosystem of human factors and ergonomics in general. So on one side, you see academia, on the other side, consulting government, industry, it's a continuous circle. Um, you essentially have this symbiotic relationship where one is pulling on the other, push and pull type relationship. We like to produce goods and services, essentially. These are our people, our processes, our knowledge, tools, solutions, anything that's generated from either side 
And when you think about it from the demand perspective, you have things like jobs, resources, access advocacy, any of those gaps that could be filled from either end. And that's important because we were founded in 1957. That means we've been around for quite a while and we have so many different uh, chapters, organizations, technical groups, looking at all of that diversity that I mentioned. But it's really important from a continuity perspective that we supply this ecosystem with essentially the, the critical needs that it needs in order to be sustainable. And so that's why I like to touch on this piece every time we talk, because we're in a bigger universe more than just ourselves. All right, next slide, please. All right, so this is the last set of updates um, that will give, you know, this town hall was essentially formed from a transparency perspective. So every quarter we come together and we talk about what we did over the last quarter. So here's some of the stuff that comes to essentially toot our horn about. Um, when we're looking at partnerships and advocacy, what we've done over the last quarter for third quarter 2022, uh, we have some stuff in work with the National Safety Council, creating a new memorandum of understanding. We've been doing outreach with historically black colleges and universities here in the US. So there's a new curriculum in work with the University of Maryland Eastern Shore. While we're in Atlanta, we're reaching out and having meetings with Morehouse College, Spelman and Clark Atlanta University. All these are part of that outreach for increasing the awareness of human factors and ergonomics as a STEM field. Looking into the, uh, into the, the COAGs, the affinity groups, the Council of Affinity Groups, there's a new affinity group that just recently came out. Uh, it was approved by the COAG, the Council of Affinity Groups and the Executive Council. It's the Korean American or KHFES AG group, affinity group. So welcome on board KHFES. Then there's the HFES Council approving the new code of conduct. So that will be making its appearance soon. It basically broadens the code of conduct to include virtual events, whereas before it was set to more in-person events. Looking into government relations, public relations, there's been a lot of action on that front. So there's been a comment that the FAA recently opened up and that comment was available for HFES to contribute to. It's speaking towards seat sizing, in this case, aircraft seat sizing for commercial uh, airliners. Uh, so Dr. Micah Ensley recently had an interview with USA Today and Airplane Geeks podcast. Uh, Dr. Ensley is coming out of our government relations. He's the chair of our government relations over there. Dr. Michael Wicklin, uh, another of our, our public policy fellows, uh, looking at an interview that he did with medical product outsourcing and specifically human factors in medical devices and designing usability in medical products. Uh, Dr. Wicklin's publication should be coming out next month and we'll let you know when that appears. Then there's looking at engagement with Congress and federal agencies. Uh, HFES is pretty active on government relations front. So the recently released human readiness levels that came out the end of last year is something that we've been uh, basically showcasing and engaging with members of Congress and agencies on, excuse me. The last piece I'll touch on are additional improvements. You know, we're continuously working the inner workings of HFES to make it more valuable and easier for members to engage with. Um, so there's some membership category changes that are coming up uh, on the new horizon for 2023. So stand by to hear for those when they do come out. And then currently we are interviewing some UX firms to help with our digital ecosystem, such as our website. So that's some of the inner workings showing some background work 
of what's happening in HFES. Carolyn, if you don't mind moving to the next slide, please. All right, and this is our master plan, the strategic roadmap. Um, some of you may be familiar with this. Every quarter, some of these dots get filled in and change colors. If you see some of those red circles that are around, those are newly changed, updated dots going from maybe in work to completed or not started to in work. Um, essentially, this moves across uh, my timeline as president going from fourth quarter where we were in 2021 to where I transition over to Carolyn uh, next month in fourth quarter 2022. So a lot of these deliverables are looking across membership, programming, advocacy, diversity, equity, and inclusion, the committees themselves, the inner working parts of uh, HFES, as well as the operations. So lots of things to do, lots of things done. So thank you to our volunteers and our staff for continuously progressing HFES forward. All right, so now let's get into the meat of today's discussion. Next slide, please. So here is a look at the executive council and the divisions that Carolyn had mentioned. So we have today scientific publications as well as standards. So Ram and Bill will be here to represent. We can go to the next slide. It zooms into their territory specifically. Uh, you can see how the publications are, are essentially broken down. We have our, our major uh, flagship uh, human factors journal that's out there as well as our other journals, ergonomics and design, um, the healthcare journal, which is our newest journal, human factors prize and, and JCDM. Uh, and then we're looking over at the standards. Uh, you'll hear more from Rob on this, but we're integrated with both national and international standards. HFES produces some standards. I, I mentioned the HRLs. That is a recent standard that's recently come out. So with all of that, let me stop talking. Nick, turn it back over to you and you take it from here, sir. All right. Thanks, Chris. Well, I think uh, the first order of business, we'll, we'll bring out Bill to talk about the, some of the publications. So, Bill, welcome to the stage. We'll clean up a little bit. Thank, Thank you, Chris. So, Bill, let's just start at the top here. Uh, what is the publications division and what does it do? Yeah, no, no worries. Uh, so the publication division, it's sort of a collection of different entities. And so on one hand, you have the journal editors which is really the the main thrust of what the publication division is all about uh, but you also have the scientific publications committee which is a smaller group that kind of has a few responsibilities which i'll, I'll get into in a moment uh, but not represented on the the figure but also as an integral part of it is the hfes staff as well and so we're all kind of working working together in this in this division um, now the executive council is really the, the final authority on things publication related. So they really have final oversight over uh, what HFES is doing from a publication standpoint. Uh, but the division, uh, in addition to kind of carrying out the business of, of producing journals and things like that, uh, we provide input to the executive um, committee, uh, executive council as well. So we look at the, uh, the, the offerings, the journal offerings. So like what's in our portfolio? Uh, do we have a good balance of journals? Is it meeting the needs of the society and human factors practitioners in general? Uh, we also uh, are responsible for assessing the health of the journals too. So looking at the metrics, making sure that we're meeting objectives, um, you know, really growing the journals in ways that we want to, uh, and just making sure that uh, they continue to meet the needs of the, the readership as well. 
Uh, as part of that, I think one of the more uh, important responsibilities that falls on the Scientific Publications Committee, which is that smaller group, they uh, is really in the um, recommendations for editors in chief for the journals. And so as part of our, our process, so as new editors uh, fulfill their terms uh, and they're no longer up for, for renewal, the Scientific Publications Committee will solicit um, candidates for those posts, will interview, and then we make recommendations to um, the executive council on that front. And so really um, it's, it's sort of uh, kind of a, a, an ecosystem to kind of borrow Chris's uh, way of characterizing HFES on the whole, but yeah, we have our own little ecosystem within the publications division uh, as well. Um, one of the other things that we do, um, you know, as, as a division uh, and scientific publications and, uh, committee in, in particular, we, we also try to liaise between um, the, uh, our, um, you know, the, the publishers as well. So, so Sage or Elsevier, you know, we're trying to kind of facilitate the dynamics between those entities, the, the journals, as well as the executive council. So you, you can see it's kind of a, a whole mixed bag of things publication related. Uh, but there's a lot of activities at, at any given point uh, but uh, it's uh, yeah there's there's a lot of different moving uh, parts but I'll, i'm happy to get into some of those with some of the questions yeah well it sounds like you guys have got a lot going on uh recently would you want to get into some of uh some of the stuff that the division's been getting into recently yeah sure so if you kind of look at back at you know the, the last year or so maybe a little bit, a little bit beyond that um, many of you have probably noticed that we do have a new journal as part of our our offering so we have the the health, uh, Human Factors in Healthcare Journal, which is really a reflection of uh, kind of a, a need that has was identified, um, you know, in, in recent history, just really trying to uh, kind of promote this important dimension. You know, it's a grand area. We have a, a conference that's associated with that topic as well. And so it was really, uh, you know, a passion project that was put forward by uh, Tony uh, Andre and uh, Farzan uh, Sasan Gohar, uh, who I think is in the audience here. Uh, and really kind of put put that together uh, and it really made a lot of sense from our perspective. And so we're very pleased that that's off the ground uh, and running and and doing quite well so far. Um, some of the other things that we've been doing, um, you know, we've uh, recently brought on board the, 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 the newest uh, editor-in-chief of the Human Factors Journal, um, Rob Radwin from the University of Wisconsin. He took over from Pat DeLucia uh, at the turn of the year this year. Uh, again, doing a great job, a uh, lot of responsibility with that journal since there's so much um, activity and, and submissions to that journal. So uh, we really uh, respect uh, the, the work that he's been doing there. Uh, we also renewed um, Jan Martin's uh, um, term as, as editor-in-chief of uh, Jay Seedham. Uh, so we're really happy that uh, he decided to stick around for a second term. Uh, he's doing a great job with that journal as well. Uh, some of the things that the scientific publication community is working on these days, uh, really trying to really kind of refine our metrics uh, and, and how we look at the journals, what sorts of things we're looking at. Uh, impact factor is just but one piece of the puzzle. We're also very much interested in uh, various aspects of the production queue, you know, the time to decision, um, you know, submission rates, things like that. Um, but of course, nowadays with new alt, alt metrics and things like that, we're also trying to figure out what makes sense to really uh, look at when we get into the journals. Uh, we're also trying to facilitate a better way of reporting some of that. So we're really trying to get to a point where we can kind of have a, like a dashboard um, assessment for some of the journals, uh, mostly in service of, uh, of the executive council, but possibly for other purposes as well. Uh, and last of all, uh, as we approach the annual meeting, we're really gearing up to 
uh, bringing on board the the incoming division chair. Uh, I'll be uh, I'll be ending my my second term here uh, in a matter of weeks, and so it's been a great ride. I've learned a, a whole lot, but it's uh, time to pass the reins over to to someone else. And so that's just kind of a a snapshot of some of the things that have been going on uh, recently and upcoming. Uh, Nick. Yeah, and so how can people get involved if if they want to? I don't know, help out with the journal or apply to the journal or anything like that. Yeah. So yeah, volunteerism is, is as with all of the, um, you know, the different committees and divisions within HFES, it's such an important element. Um, so where it comes to publications, it really could fall on kind of different sides of, of, of the, of the coin. So on one hand, if people are interested in becoming active in the division through the scientific publications committee, uh, we do have a vacancy uh, open. Uh, Rob Radwin actually, uh, as he stepped up uh, to assume the role of editor in chief, he vacated a spot on the on the scientific publications committee. And so, um, probably in and around the, the the annual meeting, or maybe sometime uh, kind of trailing behind that, we'll we'll probably be working with our, our volunteer coordinator to try to get the word out that there are spots. So people that are interested can certainly make their interest known. And uh, the, the new chair, as well as some of the other uh, committee members, will probably uh, go through a process to bring that person on board. The other one, which is probably um, certainly a, an area of greater need, I should say, is uh, really getting involved with the journals themselves. And so this uh, can kind of come at many different uh, levels. Uh, certainly, as reviewers, is probably the one that comes to mind most of all when you talk to the, the editors. There's a great need, uh, a great burden uh, involved in, in reviewing uh, submissions for the journals. And so uh, if you're not already a reviewer for the journals, uh, definitely make your interest known to the editor-in-chief and, and get involved. If you are already a reviewer uh, and you haven't done one in a while, you know, get back in the game. You know, there's a whole lot of, of you know, um, time and energy that we, that we need. Uh, last year, we had actually uh, done some uh, assessments to really how much time is necessary to produce uh, some of the, the journals that that are really, um, you know, our, our live stream in, in some senses. Uh, and we're, we're talking on the order, when you consider from the editor uh, in chief on down through the associate editors, through, um, you know, the reviewers, when you look at all of the, the submissions and the time it takes to process each one, uh, HFES staff, you know, we're talking, you know, on the order of, you know, 20,000 to 25,000 hours of volunteer time to really get uh, to, to really to be able to produce uh, all of the issues that comprise the you know HFES HF journal uh, and then the other journals are, are also um, a part of that process too. And so really getting involved, uh, I can't say it enough. Uh, we really look for your support out there. Yeah, well, thank you, Bill. We're going to hear from you a little bit later. I think uh, during the Q&A, there's a lot of really great questions that are popping up here. And I'll remind everybody, if you are listening, watching, please drop your questions in the comments. I promise we'll get to as many of them as we can in that section. But now let's let's head over and talk to Ram about uh, about uh, standards and that interesting topic. I love standards. In fact, <laughs> we uh, we actually just aired an episode on the podcast about how the metaverse would need standards. I'm curious, uh, let's let's talk about technical standards. What is your role overall as the technical standards division chair? Thank you, Nick. Uh, as a, you know, I'm a non-voting executive council member. So I'm the representative and advocate of the 
technical standards you know that our professional society uh, gets involved in the field of human factors and ergonomics so if we go back to early eight, 1980s you know as a professional society hfes has participated in developing national standards and then uh, we have worked to establish the us position for international standards you know and uh, this particular division consists of variety of chairpersons and um, um, i'm basically a facilitator you know uh, get the reports from these chairs and i'm answerable to the executive council or the president of uh, human factors and ergonomic society uh, just you know um, i'm a new kid on the block that is you know i took over this role from dr bob fox uh, who's retired from general motors uh, in 2021 and uh, but i have been involved in the technical standards work for uh, more than a decade so great well let's let's talk a little bit about standards in hfes how what are the standards that come under hfes and do you have any sort of committees that handle those standards thank you nick that's a great question uh, actually you know through american national standards institute you know uh, ansi uh, hfes is involved in the international organization for standardization iso so iso technical committee uh, we call tc159 which is specific to ergonomics that's where a lot of um, the hfes you know uh, is involved heavily and this particular <coughs> uh, technical committee of ergonomics has four subcommittees you know and of course these subcommittees have various work work groups so the first committee is on general ergonomics principles you know chair is uh, peregrine uh, from uh, boy and we have a uh, another subcommittee on uh, anthropometry and biomechanics chaired by dr bob fox from uh, you know general motors and we have a third subcommittee um, called ergonomics of human system interaction uh, i'm chairing that particular uh, subcommittee and of course we have uh, the last one ergonomics of the physical environment uh, uh, amrita mcguire from dell so we have is with respect to iso we have four subcommittees and uh, ansi is the us you know uh, administrator uh, to this particular uh, committee and uh, so the technical advisory group members we review and debate the merits of this particular standards and prepare for the us voting position so that is again iso uh, we have obviously as of now we are working on the ansi hfes 100 uh, which is uh, called human factors engineering of computer workstations again chaired by amrita from dell and the co-chair is scott openshaw from uh, intuitive surgical and we have another one which we finished you know i am glad uh, dr judy sees uh, uh, in the audience as well that is again um, and chfes 400 uh, which is just published a uh, human on human readiness levels in 2021 and of course we have the astm uh, f48 uh, basically this is with respect to standards on uh, exoskeletons and exosuits uh, again chaired by obviously chris reed and uh, divya Srinivasan from uh, uh, clemson university and the last one is we do have a representation at the department of defense uh, through uh, uh, steve merriman uh, from boeing he's retired from boeing but he's still very active in the uh, uh, department of defense uh, human factors and ergonomics uh, uh, technical group 
So, so these are the uh, committees uh, I deal with. There's a lot of acronyms you threw out there. ISO, uh, ASTM, ANSI, right? Like, could you go over a little bit about what the differences are between these different groups of standards? Yeah, you know, the ISO, which is, you know, I think it started in 1947. It's a independent, <coughs> excuse me, non-governmental uh, organization uh, for standardization. It has around, uh, you know, more than 165 national standard bodies. That is, you know, the countries represent. Uh, so the members are the countries, you know, not the individual members per se. And they have around more than 20, 250, I think, I believe, technical committees. So what it does, what ISO does is that, you know, it develops, uh, you know, it brings the expertise and develops the voluntary and consensus-based and market-relevant uh, standards, okay? If there is no need, then they don't develop it. So if there is a need for it, only ISO starts developing a standard. So again, you know, why are we developing these standards? It's making sure that, you know, uh, all the characteristics and the performance of these products are consistent, you know, and so that people use the same definitions or the terms. If you're talking about metaverse, yeah, any product which you have the same consistency, same reliability, and obviously safety. So that is ISO. And ANSI, uh, that is the US, you know, the American National Standards Institute. I think I believe it's around established in 1918. Again, it's a private nonprofit organization. And uh, again, ANSI does not write standards. We need to yeah, emphasize that, okay? And uh, ANSI is a founding member of the ISO and uh, plays an active role, you know, uh, in its governance. And um, of course, you know, it co ANSI coordinates the US standards with international standards so that, you know, if you're developing some American products can be used worldwide, you know, that's one way. And also ANSI accredits these standards, you know, that are developed by representative of other standard organization, such as ASTM. So the ASTM, you know, if you go back to, I think it's maybe older than ISO and ANSI. Uh, ASTM is basically American Society for Testing and Materials. I believe it started in the 1880s. And until 2001, it was just known as ASTM. Now it's now classified as ASTM International. Okay, and it basically same thing. It develops and publishes voluntary consensus technical standards, you know, for materials, products, or the systems and services. Okay, and uh, these standards are developed under a you know World Trade Organization. Uh, you have this agreement called Technical Barriers to Trade. Uh, so basically, it has essentially those principles are embedded uh, in the ASTM. And um, so, for example, if you're looking at a foot protection, you know, uh, for the shoes, um, you, you know, you see an ASTM standard. Uh, so just as an example. So these are the essentially those are the three uh, main standards. Of course, you know, each country has its own standard. As I was saying, ANSI uh, is American. You know, uh, you have the British standards, you have uh, uh, German standards, you have Japanese standards like that. So. Yeah, Sorry, you, you too much up, information. No, no, no. That's it's great. You brought up that example of the of the shoe and and how that is sort of just one, I guess, small thing that you can do. But thinking about sort of standards in general, can you give an example of why they're important and kind of what they can do to influence society just in general? Again, uh, good question because its standard is basically a document. You know, it provides requirements, specifications, or the guidelines. You know, that can be used consistently. 
so that you know the materials or you're looking at the products or the processes and the services are fit for their purpose you know it's safe you know for you're looking at the safety consistency everything and what you're doing is you're using standardization as a tool to create a level playing field you know that benefits everyone so i'll give you a few examples uh, where hfes involved you know classic one is the ansi hfes 100 which was started in 1988 you know the uh, standard for human factors engineering of visual display terminal workstations now that was you know groundbreaking uh, for hfes and then you know they updated in 2007 now as i'm you know speaking or as we speak uh, that the uh, amrita and uh, from dell and scott uh, they are uh, working diligently on updating the Uh, this particular ANSI HFES 100, uh, and now it's cl- classified as, a, or rather, it's called as a human factors engineering of computer workstations. So I'm, sh- I think uh, their target date is next year. So the whole standard ANSI HFES 100 is going to come out uh, on the computer workstations. You're looking at, uh, you know, the um, you know, input devices. What should be the mouse like? You know, what should be the monitor like? You know, the specs. Uh, Sit to stand workstations. So those are the ones which you look into in that. And the other one, uh, I think uh, even Chris mentioned, and I'm glad Judy is also there. That you know, last year uh, we called it. Uh, we developed this ANSI HFES 400. Uh, it's called Human Readiness Level Scale in the system development process. So if you're looking at this, you know, um, we know that there is a TRL which is called Technology Readiness Level. Uh, it basically focuses on technical maturity or the technology maturity, but whereas this particular HRL, uh, it emphasizes the readiness of uh, developing a technology for human use and safety. So that's the beauty of this. I mean, it's uh, I I commend uh, Judy's group because you know it, uh, it took almost a year, but uh, uh, developed this and now it's a standard. Uh, it's applicable to any type of technology you're looking at. You know, under development, military, government, federal agencies, industry. And academia, you know, what you're doing is we want to, you know, the standard ensures that human ready, readiness is excuse me satisfactorily addressed through a system design and development. You know, you what you're trying to do is re- reducing the human error, you know, operational systems, and of course promote effective and overall human system performance. And the last one is, you know, again with respect to HFES is I think what. Uh, Chris Reed and uh, Divya Sinwasan are working on the exoskeletons. Nowadays, you know, people are everywhere. What you see is exoskeletons, you know, exosuits. So, you know, we need to have a proper standard, uh, you know, when we are using these exo uh, standards. So, you know, I'm sure Chris can answer this better than me. Uh, but uh, that's one of the things HFES is also actively looking into. So, again, you know, there are a lot of standards uh, where HFES is involved. Yeah, standards sometimes. Can get a bad rap from the public, and I I'm a super nerd about standards. I love standards. How can others? How can members get involved uh, with these standards? You know, it's um, I, I you know I would like to go back to my student days when I was doing my uh, doctoral work. Uh, my part of my dissertation was on whole body vibration. At the time, I used um, ISO standards to develop you know how to the calibrate the instruments, how to get the direct measurements there is a process you know you can't just buy whatever you want and you know just measure it so there is a standard so i have to follow so that's how i got interested in the you know 
uh, how best we can link the research to standards. That's, you know, the way that was, that's how I started. And then, you know, when I, a part of the human factors, you know, uh, uh, I looked at the public comments, you know, there was a time uh, Dr. Bob Fox, even Dr. Tom Albin, they were looking at public comments for certain uh, documents. So that's how I got involved, you know, uh, and um, so simple question, a simple point is that if you have expertise, any area, you know, it doesn't matter if you're from academia, industry, or the government or the non-government, please get involved, you know, uh, send a note to these committee uh, committees uh, and get involved. Of course, you know, uh, if you have to be a vote, it takes a while before you become a voting member. Um, and one good, you know, one important thing is we do have strict deadlines. You can't just join for the sake of joining and don't contribute. You know, we have strict deadlines because what happens is we report to ANSI and ANSI reports to ISO. So if there is, so for example, end of this month, we have one standard, uh, which on the document we are working on uh, and already voting is already, you know, and we are, I have to send ballots uh, to ANSI. Again, you know, we have to, uh, we have strict deadlines with respect to that. And one important thing I want to mention is that, you know, especially for the people, especially the students or the people who wanted to get involved, Dr. Paul Green from University of Michigan has a YouTube videos on, you know, the importance of standards, uh, how best you can get involved in the standards. Um, again, you know, a wonderful um, uh, website um, uh, with, uh, Paul has developed. And also, you know, I think Paul has a task force on standards which where they wanted to get to uh, universities and make the students, uh, you know, especially the research-based students, you know, aware of these things. Because typically, you know, a lot of uh, practitioners use these standards to develop their work. Uh, but I think, you know, one of the good ways we to do is that, you know, making students to think about these regulations or the guidelines or the standards when you are working on your research. So there are various ways uh, we can get involved in the standards. So. You're more than welcome to, I mean, anyone who is interested, please send me a note. I will, you know, I can connect uh, the dots. So. Yeah. Well, thank you, Ram. I really appreciate it. I think we're going to bring back the rest of our panel here and start the Q&A portion of this uh, town hall. So we had some really great questions from, uh, from the chat here. I'm going to go in, I guess, order in, in which they were asked here. We're, we're going to ask, there were a lot of questions here about uh, <laughs> the journals. So um, I'm going to go with this first one here. This one's by uh, Sarah on YouTube. I've been inundated with reviewing requests over the last three years. Are there any plans to make reviewing more sustainable or to pay reviewers? Bill, I'm going to, I'm going to pass this one over to you. <laughs> That's a great question, Sarah. And uh, I guess you're probably being inundated because you're actually responsive and doing a good job of those reviews. And that's a, usually a hallmark of people that uh, get frequent requests. But, um, you know, I think this is an issue that all of the editors in chief are contending with, really trying to uh, kind of keep the uh, their, their base of reviewers healthy and active, uh, expanding it where it's appropriate to do so, and really try to keep uh, reviewers more engaged. I mean, the prospects of pain reviewers is probably uh, a difficult avenue to to kind of navigate um you know i think they're trying to explore other things and this is really by by publication each editor-in-chief has their own strategies that they're trying to implement some of them are shared across uh, publication others are, are unique to a journal but really trying to find ways of either uh, making reviewing more attractive either through recognitions uh, or other types of um, 
you know, uh, perks, uh, you know, whether it's access to, uh, you know, uh, the, the journal or some things like that for an extended period of time uh, and so on. You know, I think really, um, you know, I don't think there's a panacea for this issue and it's something that we're going to continue to tackle over time, just really trying to make sure that we have a good core, um, you know, body of reviewers available to us because really this is, uh, in some respects, this is the, the reviewers are the gatekeepers uh, as well as the editors for the scientific knowledge that gets pr uh, propagated through the journals. And so we really need to make sure that that's uh, kind of a, a critical and, and well thought out uh, core uh, for us. Um, so I, I kind of dodged the question a little bit, but you know, it's on our minds and we're really trying to think about ways of, of kind of keeping it going. Along the lines with journals, uh, the, there's another one here, uh, privacy settings won't let me see the name. How do you apply to write for the journal? Well, most, uh, I think almost every journal, it's uh, submission-based. And so uh, in terms of looking at the different journals, what sorts of content they are after, whether it's original research uh, articles, um, you know, uh, reviews, uh, et cetera, that each one sort of has its, uh, a different variety of things that they are, are looking for. Uh, and then, of course, through the, the, the instructions for authors, there should be all of the information needed to, to kind of figure out how to, how to submit something. And really, um, you know, uh, when it's first kind of brought into the system, uh, the editor-in-chief uh, or possibly one of the senior or associate editors will really be the, the ones in charge of triaging that article. So really assessing whether that's an appropriate fit for the journal. And if so, it'll probably find its way to reviewers and through the process. If not, they'll probably be kicked back out with some feedback about the fit uh, or really kind of underscoring what the journal is, is looking for in terms of submission. So ho hopefully that uh, that answers the question, there, uh, Nick. Yeah, and along along the lines of sort of applying, and I should have asked this after the first one, but with respect to reviewing, how does one sort of make it evident that they are available to review for a journal? Yeah, I think the, uh, I, I think Farzan had noted this in, in the chat as well, but yeah, uh, some of the websites do have places where you can kind of, uh, kind of register yourself in the, in the database, in the system for the journal. Uh, but the, the one that's probably a bit more traditional is, you know, just email the editor-in-chief or one of the associate or senior editors Make yourself known with a bit of uh, information about what sorts of areas you're, you're comfortable reviewing in. And then by virtue of being in the system, it's really kind of a snowball effect. You know, if, if you're in there and you can be found by editors and you start to get reviews and develop uh, sort of a, uh, some credentials or reputation for being a reliable reviewer, you're probably going to get more uh, over time. And, uh, and again, uh, we really encourage people that are, are new to the process to, to, yeah, to kind of get their feet wet and learn the process and hopefully contribute over uh, over the long term. And, and I just wanted to add a, a little bit on that. So, um, and this kind of it combines Sarah's question and, and Nancy. So what, as an associate editor, what I see um, is only, and but I do see how many um, requests or, or active reviews a person has a, a reviewer has at a given point in time and so if i see that somebody's got already reviewing something i'll just go oh nuts <laughs> let me find somebody else because i don't want to have somebody have you know several manuscripts that they're reviewing at at one time and so i can see gosh if somebody's 
been asked to review 12 manuscripts, you know, lately it's like, oh, okay, I got to look for somebody else. But I don't know what all the other requests that people get from other journals, because usually, you know, we're reviewing for multiple journals. So, so that's, you know, that's just a limitation that we live with. So it doesn't look like you've reviewed for human factors in a while. I, I may send a request, but certainly if people are too busy, you know, it's, it's absolutely fine to say, no, I, I can't do that right now. We always love for people to make a recommendation of somebody else to review because um, it, it, that's, that's very helpful because otherwise, you know, what I'm doing is I'm looking, I'm looking at papers that are relevant. So I'm, I'm looking for somebody else who has written something that's relevant to this particular manuscript, uh, in order to find people to review. Um, so if you write in a particular area, your name is going to pop up probably, and then you know, that that's how you sort of get found unless, as Bill said, you actually contact the um, the editor and then say, you know, this is this is what I'm interested in or, or contact an associate editor and say, you know, I'd, I'd like to review for human factors. And these are the kind of papers that I can I can, um, you know, view. Okay, I'm going to jump in here with kind of a three for I'm going to I'm going to combine a couple of these questions here uh, with respect to the journals. Uh, recently, the Biden administration mandated that all publicly funded research is to become available at no cost uh, to the taxpaying public here in the States, at least. How will this impact the HFES journals going forward? That's combined with the question of is there a plan to make the journals completely open access? Uh, yeah, so um First, I'll say this, the short answer is I, I don't know, but let me meander for a few minutes uh, to kind of give a bit more substance to that. So uh, first of all, I mean, uh, the new journal, the, health, the Human Factors in Healthcare uh, is completely open access. And that was really by design. That was part of the original vision for, for the journal. And so that's, uh, that's, that's one thing. As it relates to uh, our other publications, you know, I think when you look at the world of, of publishing, it's really such an evolving, um, you know, uh, you know, area. And so I think it's, it's kind of hard to pinpoint what is the ramifications going to be, um, you know, obviously from a reader's perspective or a consumer of, of, of research, open access is really, you know, the be all end all, you know, being able to kind of click on something to access it. Uh, but there's a lot of other considerations we need to uh, look into when making decisions about the, the other journals that, you know, haven't been established as fully open access. So, yeah, the Biden administration, um, you know, uh, news uh, or, or announcement recently. Uh, we're going to have to see how that evolves. And so we've been in contact with the the folks at Sage. They're they're really um, going to be kind of seeing how that's really implemented. And so really, the devil's in the detail. We'll want to kind of understand uh, how that might look from their end and how we'll fit into that that mold as as a society that's producing the, the content. Um, you know, on, on the other side of the, the coin, you know, we'll when it comes just to the the broader question of open access more generally you know we need to think about things like you know how does that impact our current contract with with sage in, in this case you know um how would uh, more of an open access model uh, uh kind of affect the underlying financials uh, as well as some of the accessibility uh, th things like that 
And at the same time, we're also mindful of the burden. Um, you know, where does the cost burden fall? You know, does it fall on the people submitting? Because we also want to be mindful to, um, you know, the people that are submitting to journals, whether they're HFES members or otherwise. You know, it's a very, um, you know, it's a difficult thing to, to, to kind of come to the table and say, yeah, well, if you want to submit to a journal, uh, you'll need to pony up X, X amount of dollars, uh, particularly in circumstances where they might not have uh, budgeted that in, in, a, in a grant or some funding opportunity. So there's a, a whole mixed bag of things that are going to go into this. But uh, so again, I'm not sure exactly where we're going to end up. That's the I don't know part of the answer. But you can be sure that there's a lot of discussions going on, you know, within HFES, but also with uh, our, our publishing partners as well. So we'll, we'll kind of see. Thanks, Bill. I've 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 hammered on on you enough about uh, about the journals. I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to Rom here and ask a couple questions about uh, standards because I think there's some really good ones here in the uh, chat, especially. So Barry Kirby, uh, my co-host on Human Factors Cast, he says standards should be less dry. We need to look at the usability of them. Is there any sort of consideration when? Uh, sort of developing these standards and and making them uh, in a way that makes them easy to read for the people who are ultimately going to be using them. That, oh my God, that's a that's a great point. Actually, unfortunately, yeah, you know, if you are trying to summarize a lot of literature, a lot of you know evidence into as some of these so-called technical documents, uh, obviously you see a lot of dryness in it, and. Uh, I think definitely you need a bit of education. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons where I think, you know, um, uh, awareness and how best we can yeah, uh, translate uh, that into an easy way of interpreting the things will be helpful. Uh, again, you know, when I started uh, going back to my own, you know, doctoral work, I had tough time to understand the vibration standards. I ended up asking, you know, quite a few people. I went to even, you know, because the the way you measure certain terminology, some certain technology. So I completely agree with Barry. You know, it is definitely we need to more uh, dumb it down per se. But uh, if you are trying to make um, a standard document uh, in a very simplistic, it's still a tough. I mean, I uh, again, I don't think I, I can answer this question. Uh, but it's it's definitely a tough task, and I think definitely usability. Uh, the more user friendly the document is, the more you can apply. You know, so I completely agree with it. And Nick, I'll, I'll add on to what Ram is saying. Yeah, it, it's unfortunately dry turkey. You know, we don't have that much gravy that you can add into it. it standards is tough, but I'm thinking on the publication side, some of the lessons learned from over there. You know, we have these essentially literature reviews um, for publications. Could we potentially do these uh, essentially summaries of all these standards that are chunked together for similar topics? So um, obviously, Ram mentioned about me working on exoskeleton standards. We tend to group them in subcommittees, but there's no kind of literature review available for that that kind of uh, puts it into maybe an executive summary version that goes across the different standards and touches lightly on them. Uh, and if you're, of course, interested, you can dive in deeper, but it's just a different way to take it for information transfer. Well, hey, we're at the hour. So if anyone on the panel needs to go, please do so now. Uh, Want to thank everybody for being on today. Um, if we do have time, I have just a couple more questions that I, I'd like to get to. I, I just one more. Is that okay if we do one more question? 
Uh, and this one's a standards question too. What is some of the most obscure or niche topics that you could get involved in standards with? Like what, what is the weirdest, most obscure thing that you could make a standard for? Name it, you can do it, but you need to have a market need for it. So for example, the Google lenses, you know, uh, or sit to stand workstation. Okay. And uh, maybe for your Halloween, you're talking about Nick, right? You know, some of those lights, you know, the LEDs, you know, the specs for that. So, I mean, I think uh, any of the latest, you know, if you're looking at any technology or you don't even have for just a helmet, you know, children, you know, the toys, uh, some of the standards, you know, the help. So, yeah, I think any, uh, you name it, I think there are some standards. You know, I mean, each country has its own standards too. But, you know, I mean, the classic one, I mean, I really like the one is now with uh, uh, the seats for the, air, you know, the plane, you know, in the, in the flight. Uh, oh, my goodness. That's going to be very interesting with respect to, you know, you're trying to design. You have a limited space. Uh, you, you're looking at so many variables. So it's not going to be an easy task. So. Yeah. Thank you for entertaining my curiosity. Well, that's it for today, everyone. We sincerely hope that everyone watching and listening has enjoyed this town hall discussion today. If you like this, come and join us in Atlanta in two weeks for the annual meeting. Uh, we'll also invite you to join us for the next time we do a quarterly town hall. Take a look out. Be on the lookout for that. As a reminder, there's a link to a survey in the description of uh, this episode so you can let us know how we did today, what you might want to hear from us about in the future. I want to thank our distinguished panel everyone else on the HFES side of the house for making this happen. You can always find the latest from HFES at hfes.org. We encourage you to join the HFES LinkedIn group or take a look at those HFES bulletins in your emails. Keep up with some of the society news. As for me, I've been your moderator, Nick Rome. You can find me weekly on Human Factors Cast, our podcast, where we talk about all the latest news from around the Human Factors world. You can also find me on social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning into this town hall. You know, for for those of you who haven't been on the show before, uh, I like to end our show with it depends because in human factors, it always depends. So, uh, and like a lot of our answers today, right? So <laughs> I'll count us down from three and then we'll, on one, we'll say it depends. Ready? Three, two, one. It depends. Human Factors Cast brings you the best in human factors news, interviews, conference coverage, and overall fun conversations into each and every episode we produce. But we can't do it without you. The Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener supported. All the funds that go into running the show come from our listeners. Our patrons are our priority, and we want to ensure we're giving back to you for supporting us. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like access to our weekly Q&As with the hosts, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Minute, a Patreon-only weekly podcast where the hosts break down unique, obscure, and interesting Human Factors topics in just one minute. Patreon rewards are always evolving, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you, and remember, it depends.